John chapter 8 um, and verse 2. We're going to start. We're in a series right now called Jesus Is, and we're looking at different attributes of who Jesus is. And as what we said last week, if we were to continue this series, we could continue this series um, for all eternity because the Bible says if you were to take all of the things Jesus did and put them in a book, that the very world would not contain the volumes. So that's incredible when you think about who Jesus is. So what I want to, I've kind of saved the best for last. This is our, um, this is our final week of this series, and I want to share with you one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and if you come here a lot, you know I have a lot of favorite passages of Scripture, and this is one of them, John chapter 8 and verse 2. The Bible says, early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat and taught them. Verse 3, and as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses said to stone her. But what do you say? I love that they asked that question. Because in that question, the answer to that, we get to see the heart of God. We get to see the fact that these guys totally missed what God cares about most. Verse six says, and they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust, verse nine, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus. I love that. Until everyone else was gone, just Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Oh, I love that passage in the scripture. Today, I want to preach on this topic. Jesus is the artist. Jesus is the artist. Why don't you pray with me today that the Lord would speak to us from his word. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. Thank you for your instruction for our lives. Let us see Jesus so clear today. Let us see his majesty. Let us see his glory, his grace, his truth. Let us walk away saying we've been with the Lord. We've been with the master. Let us see who truly Jesus is in this place and be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. You can be seated. Since the beginning of time, God has continually sought to reveal himself to us. Through every means available, God seeks to be found in us. So much so that the Bible says that creation itself just displays and speaks of how great God is. So every tree in the forest, every river in, in the mountains, every aspect of God's creation is trying to show us who God truly is. God's revealed himself in many different ways in the Bible. To Abraham, he was Jehovah Jireh, which means provider. To Moses, he was Jehovah Rapha, which simply means my healer. Joshua saw God as Jehovah Nisi, which means 
the banner of victory. So no matter what he went through, he knew that God was his victory. To Gideon, God was Jehovah Shalom, which means peace. To David, God revealed himself to, as a shepherd. To Isaiah, God said he is the Lord of hosts. All throughout the Bible, God reveals himself as the most high, the deliverer, the savior, the redeemer, the shield, the stone, strength, the righteous one, everlasting God, the God of covenant, God our rock, God our righteousness, wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the ancient of days, just to name a few, and my favorite, friend. God reveals himself all throughout the scripture to us, but what I found interesting is none of those descriptions of who God is is the first picture that we get of him. None of those descriptions is the first way that God shows who he truly is. In the first line of the first word of the first, uh, the first line of the first page of your Bible and is, is a line that says, in the beginning, God created the first way God showed us who he is is by showing us that he's a creator. That he is someone who creates. Or if you will, he is an artist. I don't know if you've ever thought about God this way. Just look at a sunset or gaze at a morning sunrise. Take a walk on the beach or stand on a mountain summit. Smell the fragrances of the flowers which join the family of plants that number in the species of billions and billions. The diversity that God created in this world is so incredible. Romans 1.20 says, Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. In other words, God says, Hey, if you look at the things that I've made, you'll see my eternal power. You'll see my Godhead. You'll see that, that there is a God that created this world, that there's, if there's something that's beautiful. I, I, I had the opportunity to go to the Knoxville Museum of Art a couple weeks ago, and we, my wife and I took our boys, and there's not one piece of art. There's some really awesome pieces of art in that art museum, and there's not one piece of art that I looked at, and I thought, man, that is the coolest accident I've ever seen. Like there's not one thing I looked at and thought, well, well, that just happened. There must have been an explosion in this place and boom, there's you know, this beautiful painting or this sculpture or this intricately wound you know, yarn mosaic. You know? I mean, I'm, I didn't look at any of those and say, well, that's just an accident that happened in this art museum here in Knoxville, Tennessee. No. Whenever I looked at it, I saw the beauty, I saw the creativity, I saw the ingenuity, I saw the purposefulness in every brushstroke and every pen. I saw something that made me say, I wonder who made this. Like someone took some time, someone took some effort, they got materials together, they got a vision, and they created this thing that I am now admiring. How much more when we look at what God has created, how much more when we look at the earth and the world and all the universe that we should see the beauty and think, this cannot be an accident. This has to speak to the fact that there's a designer that, that has created something, that there is an artist that God has created. Everything we see is from the mind of the artist and artist, God, the divine artist, and from the vision of an artist. 
You see, vision is what separates an artist from a common man. This past week uh, was a momentous week in my household. My uh, son turned four years old, and the same week he became four eyes. He got his first pair of glasses. I was in fourth grade when I got my first pair of glasses, but he joined the club, and now he has glasses. And it's so funny. We're trying to get him to wear his glasses now. Uh, he, it's like has a band around the back, and I just try to get that band as tight as I can, but he just wants to take it off. He's not used to wearing those glasses. But a couple weeks ago, well, actually a couple months ago, he was at preschool, and he had an eye test done, and the eye test the, said that he needed to see an optometrist. He needed to see a doctor and, and see about getting glasses. And what he took was a vision test. I was thinking about that word today, vision. That it really probably, it should have been called a sight test that my son took. Because it's very possible to have 20-20 sight, but to have no vision. As a matter of fact, Helen Keller, famous quote of hers, she said this, the only thing worse than being blind is to have sight, but have no vision. Vision makes all the difference in our life. When I look at a blank canvas, I see a blank canvas. When I see a piece of marble, I see a piece of marble. But when Van Gogh looked at a canvas, he saw Starry Night. And when Michelangelo looked at a piece of raw marble, he saw the statue of David. It's all in the vision of the artist. I want to share with you some of Michelangelo's quotes in regards to his vision. He said this, in every block of marble, I see a statue, watch this, as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude and action. I have only to hew away the rough walls that imprison the lovely apparition to reveal it to the so other eyes as mine so that to other eyes as mine see it he said hey every time i look at a piece of marble i see a statue as i just see it it's as clear as day nobody else sees it all i have to do is just hew out the rock so that everybody else can see what i see that's vision he goes on to say every block of stone has a statue inside of it and it is the task of the sculptor to discover it. He said, I saw, speaking of, an, of a sculpture he did of an angel, he said, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. <laughs> see, in creation, I see darkness. I see without form. I see void. But whenever God saw voidness and darkness, he actually saw everything. See, God, from the very beginning, he stepped out onto nothing and he saw everything. He, he stepped out into a blackness, into a void. And in that void, he saw purpose. In that void, he saw beauty. In that void, he saw the Smoky Mountains. In that void, he, void, he saw the Pacific Ocean. In that void was the vision of the artist. See, the vision of the artist is the ability to distinguish the extraordinary hiding in the ordinary. The artist can see the extraordinary when everyone else just sees the ordinary. And I want to tell you today that God sees beauty in you. 
I want to say that again. God sees beauty in you. Other people may just see a raw piece of marble, but God sees a piece of art that's just waiting to be discovered. God sees beauty in you that other people may miss. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. So what is God thinking about us? Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Jeremiah 1, 5 says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. So in other words, there's not a person in this room that's an accident. God says, before you and I were even born, there was purpose in our bones. He said, before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nation. God sees purpose in your life. God sees your life full of peace. God sees your life full of hope. God sees you as an overcomer. God sees blessing in you. And this may not be what other people see, and that's okay. They're not the artist. God is. And I don't believe there's any scripture or any passage that more clearly shows this than the one that we just read together. Talking about someone that other people had done away with was in John chapter 8 when Jesus is talking about the woman caught in adultery. Let's look at it again and let's look at it in your notes there in verse 3. Again, it says, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who has been caught in the act of adultery and they brought her in front of the crowd. Time out. It was early in the morning, we read. They were in the temple. How do you think these guys found this woman in the very act of adultery? Like, how, how does that work out, guys? Like, oh, I'm just walking in the middle of the night and here's a big band of guys. What were they doing? They... They, had, she, they were setting her up. They had been tipped off that somebody was making a mistake and someone was sinning and someone was being bad and disobeying God's law. So what do they do? They take it upon themselves to be the self-appointed religious police and they went and they found the woman making a mistake and they drug her out of her situation. I'm sure they didn't let her get her clothes back on. She was probably ashamed of herself and they brought her. They didn't just bring her in the public square. They brought her to the temple. Like they brought her to the place where people were to come to hear about God, they'd throw her on the ground and to say, Jesus, we caught her committing adultery. What do you say about it? Man, these guys had a complete misunderstanding about who their God was. They thought God's greatest joy was judgment. They thought that God was going to get so excited about the fact this lady had made a mistake. But what we find in Jesus is Jesus was the perfect mixture of grace and truth. You see, grace without truth is not Jesus. If, if, if it's only grace and there's no truth to what you're saying, then, then, then that's not Jesus. But I want to tell you this, if all it is is truth and there's no grace, that's not Jesus either. If all it is is you're so wrong and you're going to hell, that's a two-syllable word where I come from. And, and if, if if, if that's all you have, then you don't understand who your Jesus is because Jesus is grace and Jesus is truth. They thought that they had, they, they thought they had stopped him. They thought that he was going to commit, that he was going to judge her and he was going to put her down. But grace and truth had collided that day. And this woman got to experience it. 
Verse 6 says, and they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. (laughs) I love it. This is the first point that I want to give you today is that Jesus stooped down. Jesus stooped down. I love this about our God. That he didn't wait until this girl was cleaned up to come to him. But he stooped down and began to bring beauty out of her life right where she was. He didn't wait until everything was okay and cleaned up in her life. But he said, right in your mess, I am willing to stoop down. And I am willing to bring beauty out of the mess of your life. The gospel is simply this. God stooped down. (laughs) John chapter 1 verse 4 says, the word became flesh and stooped down. It dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. What is that? That's a picture of a God who didn't just say, well, I'm just going to cross my arms in heaven. And if you get good enough, then I'll love you. No, it says right in your mess, I will robe myself in flesh and come. Stoop down to where you are. (laughs) See, Verse 6 says they were trying to accuse him and they were trying to get this against Jesus. Verse 7 says they kept demanding an answer. And watch what he says. He stooped down and said, all right, all right, all right. Anyone who's never sinned, you get to throw the first stone. Don't you love that? See, Jesus doesn't deal with her sin first. He deals with their sin first. Just to show you how Jesus thinks about us when we get all high about ourselves and think that we're so much holier than everybody else, right? Max Licato, one of my favorite authors and pastors, he wrote this. He says, we aren't even good enough to judge another person. Can a hungry person accuse a beggar? Can a sick mock the ill? Can a blind judge the deaf? In any way, in the same way, can a sinner condemn a sinner? 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 Absolutely not. He goes on to say, be careful. The Peter who denies Jesus at tonight's fire may proclaim him with fire at tomorrow's Pentecost. Isn't that good? The Samson who was blind and weak today may use his final strength to level the pillars of godliness and suffering. And a suffering, a stuttering shepherd in his generation may be the mighty Moses of the next. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, Don't count me out yet. Don't count me out yet. We, we want to judge somebody when we see them making a mistake. We want to judge somebody and say, look how bad they are. Look how many things they've done wrong. They could never be someone who comes to Jesus. And you don't, don't count somebody out yet because you don't know how good the grace of Almighty God is. And you don't know how much Jesus will stoop down and care for us in our mess. Romans 5, 8 says, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. In other words, he stooped down. Christ died for us. Isaiah 59 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. In other words, God's arms and God's hands of love is so long that you may run from God, but you can't run away from you may run away from God, but you can't outrun God. You may be here today running from God. I want you to know you, you may run as far as you think you can run, but you can never outrun God because his arm is so long, because his grace is so good that all it takes is just a moment of saying, Jesus, I need you. And right there in that moment, his grace is sufficient for you. 
I love it. He was, people love Jesus. Like, like people that were messed up love Jesus. That's what I love about Jesus. All these people whose lives were all perfect and, and, and all right and everything, they didn't like Jesus. But the people that had issues, they liked Jesus. I like that because I got some issues. Some, some of us got issues in this place and some of our issues have issues. And in the middle of all that, Jesus said, I'm somebody that I'll stoop down. Here's the second thing I want to share with you today is Jesus got his hands dirty. I love it. They're accusing her and he, it's the most beautiful picture. Jesus gets down and instead of listening to them, he just begins to write on the ground. What a picture. Pastors, preachers for hundreds of years have speculated what Jesus was writing in the ground. I believe he was doing something that was showing the world what he was really doing that day. He was putting his finger to the dirt and bringing beauty out of it. Jesus was getting his hands dirty. You see, that dirty ground was a good picture of that woman that day. Her life was dry. Her life was broken. Her life was formless. But when Jesus looked at her, he did not see a life worth stoning. He saw a life worth saving. He saw a canvas made of dirt just waiting for the finger of an artist to write on it and to bring beauty and purpose. I want to tell you today, Jesus is not afraid to touch your dirty life. This is not the first time he got his hands dirty. God still creates his greatest works of art from canvases that are made of dirt. That's what he uses to make beautiful things out of. I love, I love the Bible, I love the word of God. I love, it encourages me, honestly. It encourages me. I have Bible verses, different parts of my house, under my visor of my truck. I keep Bible verses because they encourage me. And, and, uh, and I just love, I feel, I feel excited sometimes whenever I'm down, I'll look and read uh, the, the, the Bible, I'll read the scripture. But there's one scripture that honestly does not bring me much joy or much comfort. It's Genesis chapter two, verse seven, and I put it in your notes there at the bottom. It says, the Lord God formed man of what? Of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. I'll be honest. This verse does not encourage me. What did God say? I created you from dirt. God says, you're nothing but dirt. You ever want to, you ever, you ever, you ever get a moment where like you feel like you're doing, like you, you feel like you're doing really good in life and you feel like you're, you're awesome and you're amazing, you want to get prideful? Just read Genesis chapter two, verse seven. God says, you're nothing, but I brought, I brought some with you. I, I just want you to know how, how, how awesome you are right here, how awesome I am. Dirt. <laughs> I got a problem with that. He created the streets of heaven with gold. Why couldn't we have been made out of gold, Right? Of all the materials that God choose to, to, to make us out of, he said, hey, I want to make you out of, drum roll, please, Gabriel, Michael, dirt. That's what I'm going to use to create these people. <laughs> Think of it. We all came from dirt. Think of all the things that you do for your dirt. This morning, you washed your dirt. At least I hope you did. You put deodorant on your dirt. You put clothes on your dirt. Think of all the money you spend on your dirt. Ladies, you manicure your dirt. You pedicure your dirt. 
Millions and billions of dollars a year are spent on dirt surgeries and dirt lifts. (laughs) Think about it. We're just a bunch of dirt. Here's here's my problem with it. Dirt is not expensive. I mean, I just... Somebody, I was, I was, I was getting this from right out here on the, by, by, right outside by the walkway. And somebody like, "What are you doing down in the dirt?" <laughs> what, what's, what's that saying? The dirt is not something you want to mess with. It's not expensive, and it, it has a negative connotation all, always in our society. That's dirty, you know. And everybody's ne- that's never seen as something that's positive or something that's good. You know, even if somebody's cheap. What do you say? That's you're as cheap as dirt, right? <laughs> and God says. Of all the things, that's what we're made of. In all the things, that is what we return to. And I hope it's not a discouragement to you, but encouragement to know this, that God still uses dirt to create beautiful things. That God still uses the things that maybe other people see as worthless. God, the Bible says he took his hands and he created just by the spoken word of his mouth, he created all the trees and all the animals and all the things, but he formed you. You're not someone, and I love this, when the scripture talks about how he made man and made woman, the Bible says he kind of he put, he, he, he Whenever it says he created a woman, it says he formed her, like fashioned her, like created her. And then the word for for formed man, it's a different word. It just literally means kind of like squeezed out, like. (laughs) I love it. In Hebrew, all us guys, God just kind of, but God took some time on you ladies, right? He just kind of created it and he put it all together. And the only thing that that it is different between my body and this, this cup of dirt is this, that God breathed into us the breath of life. And when, whenever my body, whenever my soul, it's time to be with Jesus and my time on this earth is over, this body, this dirt is going to go back to what exactly it is. It's dirt. But my soul, my spirit, the breath of God in me will be the thing that goes to Jesus. Can I take you a little bit deeper today in this illustration? That dirt is the only environment that you can put a seed into. You can't put a seed into gold. You can't put a seed into silver. But you take this little cup of dirt and put one single seed. And it can create a forest of potential. That's what God says when he looks at you. You say, other people say, oh, you're just a bunch of dirt. Look at you. You're, you're just worth, you, you're not even worth stoning. Look at, look at your life. Look at the mistakes you made. Look at your past. You may come in here. We all come in here trying to put on our best and look our best. But if there are some things about us that we don't want anybody else to know, it's our dirt. It's the things that we want to keep so to ourselves because we, we, we just don't, we don't even want to give it to God because it's our dirt. It's our problems. But God says, I still, if you'll let the seed of the word of God go in you, I'll take your dirt and I'll put so much potential into it that it'll make a difference. It'll grow. It will bless other people around you. Here's the third thing that Jesus did. Jesus ignored the accusers. They're all saying she deserves to die and he just ignores them. Doesn't even listen. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren in Romans chapter, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. It says, the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused him before our God night and day. 
I want you to know that God still ignores your accusers. That song we were singing earlier, he silences the voices of my enemies. Whenever we were singing that song, I was thinking about this message and just the reality that sometimes we think our enemies are just other people, but the Bible says we don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. So the, the accuser, the thing that wants to destroy your life is not people, it's the, it's the, it's the enemy, it's Satan himself that wants, to, that wants to come against you and accuse you and all the things you've done wrong. But whenever you come to Jesus, the divine artist, whenever he begins to put his finger on the dirt of your life, the Bible says he just will ignore the accusation of your enemy. And he silences it. In verse 10, the Bible says, Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And she said, no, Lord. He said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I want you to make mention of, I want to make mention of one thing before we close today is simply this, that there was one there that had the right to accuse her. His, his litmus test was this. If you have never sinned, you have the right to throw a stone. If you are living a perfect life, you have the ability to throw a stone. And there was not, there was one person there was not one in the crowd, but there was one. It was the one who was speaking. Jesus was the perfect person. And instead of accusing her, he refused and he gave her grace. He said, go and sin no more. So here's two thoughts I want to give you as we leave today. In light of God, the artist, I want to challenge you to drop the rocks. Drop the rocks. This needs to be a place where we don't hold people's past against them. This church, City Hills Church, is a place where we do not hold your past against you. And we're not holding even what you're doing right now. If you're not even a believer in Jesus, we are dropping rocks. Because here's the deal. You belong here. You can belong in this place because with, this is a group of people that loves you and that cares about you. And we're not, we're not picking up stones to throw at you. No, we're, we're dropping our stones and we're joining our God that's saying, hey, here's some grace for you today. Like, here's some hope for you today. Isaiah 51 says, hearken to me, you that follow righteousness. Seek you who seek the Lord. Look unto the rock from whence you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from whence you were dug. God tells Isaiah, don't ever forget where you came from. Don't you love that? He said, don't ever forget the pit that you came from. Whenever you remember how good God has been to you, it causes you to drop the rocks and say, you know what? I'm gonna leave judgment in the hands of God and I'm just gonna love people. I'm just gonna share the love and grace of Jesus with them. And here's the second thing I want to leave with you today is give God your dirt. Give God your dirt. There's parts in your life where you feel like just dirty. Give it to God. Give it to God. I heard a story not too long ago about a man who had a carpet cleaning business. He had hired a new employee and he gave him the task of cleaning the carpet at a home. He had other jobs to go on, so the owner of the business left the new employee there to clean the carpets, and he left. 
wasn't, but a couple minutes later, about an hour later, he gets a call and says, hey, hey boss, I'm done. I cleaned what you wanted me to clean. And he rushed over there as soon as he could. He said, show me what you did. He said, I've been doing this a long time and I know there's no way in the amount of time that you had that you cleaned all of that. And he, the owner of the business, he, he knew what it was supposed to be. He knew what clean was like. So, so, so he literally looked, went to a spot where there was some dirt in the carpet. And he said, come here, son. Come here, come here, son. I want you to look down at this dirt. I want you to look. He said, I want you to look down at that. He said, now I want you to look at me. He said, look down, okay. Now look at me. What did you see? He said, I see dirt. The owner said, good. He said, we can work together. Because if you can't see it, then we can't work together. But if you can see the dirt, if you can recognize it's there, then we can work together. When I heard that story, the Holy Spirit dealt with me. Taking me to places in my life that there's some dirt left. Said, hey, 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 come here, Brandon. Come here, come here, come here. Right here, right here. What's this right here? Uh, that's some dirt. God doesn't fire me. God doesn't say, well, you're not going to be my son anymore. God says the same thing. Good. We can work together. Because as long as you can see it, then we can, I can help you with it. But if you can't be real enough to deal with it, then I can't help you. 1 John 1, 8 says, if we claim we don't have sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to ask a question to the Lord right now. Just simply say, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me right now in this message? Holy Spirit, where's the, where's the dirt? Where, where, where's that in me? Where's that troubled past? Where's those, those questions? Where, where, where's, that, where's that in my life? Put the searchlight on me, Holy Spirit. What are you speaking to me? I want to pray for you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, that you're an artist. Lord, that you still paint on canvases of dirt. God, that right there in the middle of our brokenness, your grace and your mercy is so sufficient. God, that you're so full of, you're, you're so ready to help us. God, you're not like those Pharisees that are so quick to judge us, but you're so quick to forgive us and to say, hey, go and sin no more. This is a brand new start. This is a brand new opportunity for you to walk with me today. I pray that you would help us, the dirt, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.